The Old Testament reading is from Psalms 146. It's found on pages 581, 582 in the Old Testament in your church Bibles. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God all my life long. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortals in whom there is no help. When their breath departs, they return to the earth. On that very day, their plans perish. Happy are those who help is is God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food for the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He upholds the orphan and the widow. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever, O God, your God. O Zion, for all generations, praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please turn with me to your pew Bibles, uh, page 95. This morning we continue our series on biblical doctrine and as Doug talked about last week, is what God does with creation and providence. This morning, we talk about Jesus. And today, we are simply going to talk about who Jesus is. And before we get started, I um, forgot to mention this as we began. I was fortunate enough to uh, be visiting with some people this last week. I went to a youth workers conference uh, in Paris and uh, for those who, who know the Reverend Scott Herr and his wife Kimberly, as well as Jeff and Alba Powell, they say hello. Uh, I got to visit with them, and um, Scott and I sat and chatted, and he shared with me some fun stories about IPC in the 90s um, from his experience. And, and uh, for those who were around, it was with a big smile on his face, and he says hello and wants everyone to know that he is uh, always in prayer for us, as we are for them over there in Paris, so... Um, this morning, we're going to be reading a familiar story, as many of you probably guessed from talking about the children's sermon. Uh, we're going to be talking about the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And uh, before we get started uh, with the sermon, I'm, I'm going to read all of it. It's, it's, it's a bit of a long text that many of us are familiar with, but I would encourage you to, uh, to engage it with me this morning. So we are starting in chapter 4. Verse 7. Please follow along with me. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me? Uh, Excuse me, a woman of Samaria. Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. 
The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I give them will never be thirsty. The water that I give them will become in them a spring of water, gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come back. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that it is the place where people must worship as in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship that which you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ, and when he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be God. And so, many of us are familiar with this passage and, and, and I want to talk about it this morning in the context of our title of who Jesus is. The first part is sort of who Jesus was while he walked the earth. How he acted, what he said, how he dealt with people. And then the second part I want to talk about is, is who Jesus is now. As we must remember that he indeed did raise from the dead and is still very much alive and active. And here in this passage we see Jesus as a teacher. As a philosopher. As a prophet. He, if you read before this, was in, ba- in Judea baptizing people in the same way John was. His disciples were going around baptizing, pe- baptizing people in a baptism of repentance, repentance for their sins. And they're going north to Galilee from Judea. And if you're familiar with the map, they, they, they would, many people would go around Samaria to get to Galilee. But Jesus and his disciples decided to go through it. And as he finds himself there in the middle of the day, he sits down to get a drink at a well. It says that it's about the sixth hour of the day, about noon. It's getting warm. And if you've ever studied this passage before, you know that the middle of the day was only a time for people who were a little more undesirable to go to the well. And while Jesus was sitting there, it says that a Samaritan woman approaches to get her water for the day, and he asks her for a drink. It's a fair request. He didn't have a bucket. He didn't have a way of getting a drink, and so he asks her. And in verse 9, it tells us that she is amazed. She's amazed first that a strange man is talking to her. In biblical times, if you were traveling around, you didn't talk to women you didn't know, and least of all, that a Jewish rabbi would not speak to her. This sort of thing just doesn't happen. And in verse 10, Jesus takes this opportunity as a teacher and a rabbi to teach and to speak to this woman. And interestingly, Jesus kind of gets very serious very quickly. You know, she says, why is it that you're talking to me? I said, why, why do you ask me for a drink? What's going on? And Jesus gets really deep, really serious, really fast. 
which I know from personal experience, people don't always like. As a pastor, um, I am one who, you know, if you go to an apero, if you go to someone's home, you ask, well, what, what do you do? Well, usually you can, if you're a banker, you can talk about interest rates, or if you're in real estate, you can talk about the markets, or if you're in insurance or a teacher, you can talk about different things. For me, I talk about theology, and people don't really like it. I, I, people ask me what I'm thinking or what I'm reading, and I, and I talk about Karl Barth, and people think it's very boring. I can tell you from experience, people don't like it when you get really deep, really quickly in conversation. It's like the guy who talks about politics every chance he gets. No one really likes that person. And, and I can't help but see a similarity when Jesus does this because he simply, she simply says, why are you asking me for a drink? And he starts talking about living water. He starts talking about some deep philosophical truths. I can't imagine he did it to, to start a conversation that would last a while. I imagine that Jesus did it to teach and to prove a point. And he brings up this topic of living water. And so, logically, this woman comes back with a fair question. She says, well, prove it. You don't have a bucket. How are you going to get this water? And if you get this water, are you saying that you're greater than our father Jacob who dug the well, who started this? How how do you mean to do this? What's your plan, Jesus? What's your plan, strange Jewish rabbi? It comes across as sort of sarcastic. He says that I can offer you living water, and she sort of says, prove it. And so Jesus responds, still a bit philosophical, but much more to his initial comment. He lets her know, he says, listen, I'm not talking about real water. What I'm talking about in verse 14 is he says is eternal life, that which lasts forever. And this woman is hooked. She says, yeah, I want to know about that. Tell me about that water. And it went, this conversation, this conversation that starts at the well goes from sort of being, you know, why Samaritans and Jews and and, and do we worship in Jerusalem or do we worship? It goes from being about cultures and about the discrepancies they had to about her need for Jesus. Something about Jesus drew her in and maybe it was a comment about eternal life, but she says, yeah, I'd, I'd like to know about that. I'd like to see what you have to offer, Rabbi. And up until this point, as I mentioned, we just have a Jesus who is being a teacher, a a philosophical person. It could be anybody. It could be any philosophy-type person who brings up these sorts of questions. It could be any teacher. It could be any rabbi. At this point in the story, if we read it as a narrative, there's nothing that sets Jesus apart. He just talks about living water, but with no proof. And it's time in the story for Jesus to set himself apart, for Jesus to to show this woman that he indeed has something to offer her that she's never had before. And as the, the story continues, we don't just see who Jesus was, but who Jesus is. See, when Jesus walked the earth, he was was a teacher, he was a rabbi, he was a philosopher. He would bring up these questions and get people thinking. But who Jesus is and who Jesus is to us is, I think, a different answer. And in verses 16 to 26, we see who Jesus is. In verse 16, Jesus asks her, he says, why don't you go and get your husband? We'll have this conversation together. And this woman probably could have lied. This woman could have said, oh, well, he's at work. Oh, he's in the fields. Oh, he's busy. She says, I have no husband. 
She decides to be honest with him. Something about Jesus says, I should be honest with this person. And I'd like to point something out here as a bit of a side note. As I was reading this week and studying, I remember thinking, it's amazing how Jesus comes to us exactly where we need him to. If you think about this woman, if you think about her life story, this is a woman who has been married five times. That was quite scandalous in the first century. That's quite scandalous even today. I remember talking to my grandmother. My grandmother has, uh, had been married a couple of times in, in, in the 50s and 60s. And, and I remember talking to her about this once and asking her about it. And she remembers feeling such great shame being a woman in her 20s and 30s with these pockmarks that everyone knew about, that everyone in her town was aware of. I remember her telling me that this was a very, very difficult thing for her. And I read this passage and I see this woman and she decides to be honest with Jesus. And Jesus comes to her in a way that this is where she needs to give, it, give up her life to Jesus. She says, why don't you get your husband? She says, I have no husband. Jesus often comes to us exactly where we need him to. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you need to realize that when Jesus comes to you, when he comes to touch you and to change your life, it's exactly where you need it to be. Sometimes it's a little uncomfortable. Sometimes it's a point of shame. It's a point of guilt. But it's very intentional. The evening service gets to hear a little bit about my story, and I know I've shared a little bit about it in here as well, but I want to share with you how this happened for me personally. Some of you know and have heard that I grew up and remember that I grew up in a single parent home. I grew up with predominantly just my mother. And I remember being a young man. I remember being a young man and, and wondering about this Jesus thing. And there's a passage today that I still have memorized. It's a very obscure passage. It's Psalm 68.5. I would doubt that anyone in this room has it memorized offhand unless it means the same or similar thing to you. But as I was a young man, I remember trying to figure out what I believe. I was in a class, I was a freshman in college, and I was in a class about C.S. Lewis. The professor's name was Jerry Root. He's still a dear friend of mine today. He married Jenna and I. We still talk whenever I'm in the United States, and he's a good friend. And he was teaching this class, and I remember talking to him afterwards and just saying, I just struggle with some of these things. He said, so tell me, what, what is your issue? What is your struggle? What is your block? And I said, you know, Jerry, one of the things that is very difficult is that I struggle to see God as a loving father because I've never had a loving father. And he said to me, he said, Sam, have you ever read Psalm 68, 5? I said, I don't know. <laughs> and so that evening I read it. And Psalm 68, 5 simply says this that he is a father to the fatherless and a defender of the widow. And I remember thinking for the first time that God spoke to me the same way he spoke to this woman at the well, and he came to me with my exact need I needed answered. I had a roadblock in my relationship to God on how I grew up, and I went home and I read it, and the scriptures came alive. It was probably the second verse I ever memorized after John 3.16. And I realized that God knew exactly what I needed. I realized that Christ was alive and that Christ knew exactly what I needed to know. And here we see Jesus doing this with this woman. He says, yes, you don't have a husband. In fact, you've been married a number of times and the man you're living with now is not your husband. 
He doesn't condemn her. He never calls her a sinner. He just simply says, this is what the situation is. God knows what we need when we need it, brothers and sisters in Christ. And in verse 17 and 18, Jesus reveals that he knows this woman well. He knows her heart. And when she was honest with him and said, I have no husband, he said, you're right. But that's okay. Because here's what you need to know. And the woman in verse 19 and 20 kind of changes the subject. And in many of us in our lives, when, when we feel vulnerable, we sort of try to change the subject, don't we? And he says, yes, you, you in fact have no husband and you've been married five times. And she says, well, tell me this. She says, tell me about Jerusalem and Samaria and right, the right place to worship. She tries to change the subject. Maybe she was uncomfortable. Maybe she was embarrassed. Obviously, this man is a prophet. She, he had shared this detail that not many people knew or that at least a stranger wouldn't know. And Jesus in verses 21 to verse 24 basically says, listen, that old stuff doesn't matter anymore. It's not Jerusalem. It's not Samaria. What matters is what's coming. What matters is the one who's coming. And she says, yes, I've heard. I've heard there's going to be a Messiah coming. I've heard that this, that everything's going to change. And, and Jesus says, yeah, and it's me. That because of her honesty, because of her vulnerability, Jesus reveals himself to her as the Messiah. He goes to a sinful woman with all of her guilt and all of her shame and all of her struggles and he says, it's me. I'm the one you need to know. He says, worship is not about a place as I talk about with the children. It's not about coming to church. It's not better in Jerusalem than it is in Switzerland than it is in anywhere else. Worship is about the heart. And I see this story with the woman at the well, and I love it so much because Jesus is so gentle and affirming. Never once does he condemn her because he knows how she feels. He knows her struggle. He affirms her for being honest and for seeking out truth. And this is what God desires of us, isn't it? Jesus is the answer to our questions, the grace for our mistakes, he is the one who fulfills our very needs. And this woman brings up these questions of worship. And if you think about it, it makes sense. She was clearly very concerned about worship. She has all of this sin, all of this baggage, all of this past. And she wants to try and worship as best she can. She wanted to do right. She wanted truth. And Jesus sees this. And he answers her questions and concerns. Jesus meets us in a way that we need. Jesus meets us exactly where we need to be met. And sometimes when he does it, it's a little uncomfortable. Sometimes we might try to change the subject. Sometimes we may try to divert the conversation away. But Jesus knows what we need when we need it. This woman is honest with Jesus when he confronts her heart. And I can imagine that her life has changed. And in fact, if you continue to read on in John chapter 4, it says that many believed because of her testimony. That from this conversation, she went on to tell people about this prophet, about this man, about this coming Messiah. And the Gospel of John tells us that many, many believed. What's great is I'd like to uh, also divert your attention to the psalm we read this morning. 
And I don't know how many of you are familiar with Psalm 146, but it's, it's beautiful. It's a psalm of praising the Lord. And in the last couple of verses, goes into exactly what I'm talking about here. Verse 7, verse 6, it says that God made, this, God made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them who keeps faith forever. He executes justice for the oppressed. If you are oppressed, he brings justice. If you are hungry, he will bring you food. If you feel you are a prisoner to sin, he will set you free. He will open the eyes of the blind. He will lift up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous and he watches over the strangers. He upholds the orphan and the widow. God knows exactly what we need. God is there for us with exactly what we need. And so when I thought about this question of who is Jesus, you know, next week we're going to talk about atonement of sin and what Jesus does. But this morning, who is Jesus? Jesus is God's answer to our rebellion. Last week we talked about creation and how sin entered the world and how God, what God had created for good got messed up. And so this morning I tell you that Jesus is the answer to that rebellion. And isn't it amazing that our God's answer is not vengeful wrath on all of us? It's not starting over. It's not redoing everything and giving us what we deserve, but instead it is unending, patient love. It is a Savior who comes to us and says, I know, I know you messed up. Just like the woman, I, I, I don't have a husband. I know. He says, I know, you've been married five times, and the guy you're with now is not your husband. What matters is what you do moving forward. And she said, yes, I believe you are the Messiah. And then she goes out and tells everyone about it. Jesus is the answer to our rebellion. Jesus is the answer to your rebellion. My rebellion. The woman at the well had a great need. And Jesus fulfilled that need. Jesus was a prophet. He was a teacher. He was a rabbi. He was a friend. He was a brother. He was a son. But most of all, Jesus is God's response to our rebellion. Jesus is God's response to when we do things that are selfishness. Jesus is God's response to when we need love. Jesus is God's response to when we feel shame and guilt. Jesus is a lot of things. But most chiefly, he's the answer to all that we need in this life. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your son. Lord, I thank you that Jesus is the answer to all that I need in this life. Lord, I thank you that through Christ you bring justice to the oppressed. You bring hunger, or you bring food to the hungry, water to the thirsty, and clothing to the naked. Lord, through us and through your church, you accomplish great things. And so, Lord, I pray that if there is anything in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives that is keeping us from you, Father, that we would be honest. Lord, show us. Lord, show us where we need you. Show us where we need your son to come and heal us. Show us where we need your son to give us grace. Show us where we need your son to give us discipline. Lord, show us the answer to our rebellion. 
Let us see your love and your mercy and your justice. That we would share that same love and mercy and justice with all those who need it. To our enemies, to our strangers, and to our friends. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen.